Ovajana, Tumiran Tasya, Yanam Jana Shalakaya, Chakshur, Nilitam Yena, Tasma, Shigaravinamaha. Apart from seeing all these uh, yellow things painted on the noses, which you don't get in most marriages, you also don't usually get sannyasis coming and talking about detachment and renunciation. <laughs> That's the last thing you want to hear about. Usually. That's not expected. As Maharaj was pointing out, marriage is losing its meaning. Because otherwise, cats and dogs, they don't have a marriage. Of course, some branches of Hinduism, they arrange cats and dogs weddings, but that's donkey's marriage. Yeah. So, apart from the four-legged donkeys, there are other kinds of donkeys getting married also. If they don't have religious principles, then it's meaningless. And that's why you'll find in the Western countries, many people, they don't marry. They think, what's, what's the point? It's just a piece of... You walk in, you don't have to go to a church, you just walk in, you sign a piece of paper, and you're married. And people say, well, why should we even bother with that? It's, it's meaningless, and it is meaningless. Just as human life is meaningless, dharmena hina pashubhyanaranam Dharmohi Tesham Adiko Vishesha. I'm going backwards, we should start at the beginning. Ahara Nidra Bhayamaitanamcha Samanami Tatpashubhyanaranam. So, eating, sleeping, mating, and defending, the human beings and the animals have in common. Dharma is the special prerogative of human life without which human life is simply animal life. So, eating, sleeping, mating, and defending. That can go on, the animals do that, they don't have a marriage ceremony in general. So marriage means it must be, it's not simply some, a contract signed in an office, but it is in every religion, in every religious system of the world, it is considered something sacred. Why is it considered sacred? It's a you know, dog, dog and a bitch. They come together, there's nothing sacred about that. A cat and a tomcat and a tabby cat, they come together, there's nothing religious about that. So, what is religious about man and the wife coming together if they come together for the purpose of serving God? With religious responsibility, not just a secular responsibility. The duty of parents is to feed, clothe, shelter, educate their children. But, Rishabdev enjoins, don't become a father or mother if you cannot guide your children on the path of liberation. So, it's good that sannyasis have been called here. They may be called in other weddings also, but just to give blessings. But sannyasis are supposed to give more important than blessings. That's there automatically if one follows the instructions. Actually, one doesn't have to ask for blessings. You follow the main thing, they should give instruction. And then if others follow, then automatically the blessings will be there. So why should sannyasis even have anything to do with marriages? Traditionally, they wouldn't have anything to do. They themselves left that or didn't even enter into it. So you may think that, well, why, why should sannyasis even come to a, a wedding arrangement? 
But for Vaishnavas or among Vaishnavas, the marriage and accepting of sannyas, they are for the same purpose. The purpose of a Vaishnav getting married and the purpose of a Vaishnav taking sannyas is for purification and for engagement in the service of the Lord. Now the sannyas position, that is a more detached position, but both are meant for the same purpose. Simply what may be suitable for one or what may be favorable for one person may be not favorable for another. Just like if you're sick and then you go to the doctor and he prescribes different medicines. So sannyas situation is also a situation within this material world. So what medicine may be good for one may be not suitable for another. But the purpose of both situations is to serve the Lord as Dhanu Maharaj was saying, eventually one is, it's expected that one will come out of family life to Vanaprastha life. That means to come out to, come out of the home and come to the forest. Or, or the, the import of that is that one should uh, not simply remain in family, not engaged fully in family affairs, but one should Vanaprastha uh, life means with his wife engage predominantly in religious matters and sannyas may be there also so it's, it's expected that one will gradually become because family life means there, there are worldly responsibilities but it's expected that having discharged that one will come through and fully engage in spiritual responsibilities. So, as a matter of social custom at least, the sannyas order is considered better or more advanced, but actually um, among Vaishnavas that social differentiation may be there. But those who are sincerely engaged in the service of the Lord whether they are sannyasi or vanaprastha, uh, whatever, grihastha. It really doesn't make that much difference. We find among the devotees of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, some were in the renounced order and some were householders. And some of the closest devotees of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, they were householders also. And our Vaishnava Acharyas have some, Grihe Baba Mete Take, whether one is a renunciate or a family man, if he calls out the name of Goranga, then Narotam Das aspires for his association. Similarly, Bhaktivinoda Thakur said, same thing. Grihe Thakur, Bane Thakur, Sada Hari Bale Whether you're in the family life or the renounced life, anyway your duty is to chant Hare Krishna. So, a Vaishnav, he much prefers the association of a, of a Vaishnava householder to that of a non-Vaishnava sannyasi. Even though the non-Vaishnava sannyasi may be more detached, 
more austere, more learned, and so many things. But if he's not a devotee, then devotees do not aspire for his association. Nor should it be considered even that. Whatever uh, time, I ask for this to be turned off. Uh, is No, that's all. So. Um, it may be considered that the sannyasi, it's, it's a more advanced position, whatever. But it really, from another perspective, it doesn't make that much difference. It's just like, after crores of births in this material world, if someone is five steps ahead of someone else in approaching Krishna, it really doesn't make that much difference. We're all stuck here in this miserable place. So some, someone... When they, if they come to the platform of serving Krishna, that in itself is the most advanced platform. So within that, if someone happens to be a few steps ahead, which it's presumed that a sannyasi, at least they take that position, that may or may not be also. So actually this uh, Vaishnav marriage, that is something to be praised, that is glorious, because... Uh, Vaishnav, Vaishnavi, man and woman, they come together to serve the Lord. Their approach to marriage is quite different to that, especially to that of people in the modern age, who come together like cats and dogs, practically. They have no higher aspiration. So, but a Vaishnav and a Vaishnavi, they do not come together for the purpose of sense gratification, but they come together to serve the Lord. So that is glorious. That is to be appreciated. And by their ideal behavior, they show an example to the Grihamedis, or those who are living as man and wife, but without any aspiration to serve Krishna. So Vaishnava householders, they should live together with the aim of serving Krishna and actually their life should be different to that of materialistic people and people should be able to notice the difference that when you walk into a Vaishnav home that it's devoid of the stress and tension which typify most families in the modern age previously we find in India that at least in India, actually in the West also, pretty much. And most people, they live together, more or less contentedly, as husband and wife and with children and this and that. But nowadays, if a husband and wife live together peacefully, people think it's a very wonderful thing. How, what, what do you do? What's the secret? People are surprised. Now, how do you... You should give some seminars or something. Teach us, what, what, what's the secret? It's, it's become an unusual thing that families can live together peacefully. And mostly they don't live, to, they, they live together unpeacefully and then they stop living together. And then they go and put themselves in another jigsaw puzzle. They take themselves, they didn't fit into one jigsaw puzzle, so they put themselves into another one which they also don't fit into. In other words, they get divorced and marry somewhere else. And they go on until they're about 70 trying to find the ideal partner. 
my, my ideal life partner. Your life's already finished. So previously, just like you see, now this is, from the external point of view, we can say this is an Iyengar marriage. So if we go into the homes of these old Iyengar homes, mostly everyone's living in apartments now, but if you go into the old homes, you'll see the photos of the grandparents or great-grandparents, and they're standing there, and very respectable people. People, uh, parents, grandparents that the children could be proud of. That throughout their lives, even after the parents and grandparents pass away, they would think, they would always think, they'd be so much impressed by their parents that they, they, they just want to live like them and be like them and not want to do anything which would disappoint their parents because they got such a good example from their parents that parents, grandparents, great-grandparents because they saw that they, they were fully engaged in the service of the Lord uh, fully devoted and very high moral principles not wanting to cheat anyone or treat anyone badly or very highly advanced people and they would recite the whole family tree with pride. That these, these are our great forefathers. So the Iyengars on one side and Ayas on the other. Of course, there was a, there's a philosophical or a whole different outlook. Religious outlook is different between Iyengars and Ayas. But both... Uh, and in general we can say that the Brahmana caste throughout India, at least previously, very uh, high principled religious living, very high class, respectable people. Respectable not just by having a suit and tie and lots of money, that's respectable in the modern age, but respectable actually persons who without desiring respect, but by their very behavior, by their very attitude, that automatically everyone respects them. Because they're so spiritually advanced. And in their dealings with everyone, they're so proper, kind. So that was a great culture. Unfortunately, to a large extent, that's broken down. I've seen some people still, even here now, still following that tradition to some extent. There's still some wonderful people Krishna is sending in some of the Iyengar families. This Krishna is sending some wonderful people to continue the tradition of devotion. But even they, what often happens is, due to economic pressure, even though they would like to be serving the Lord, Instead, they're serving someone whose name they don't even know. They're in a multinational corporation. And they don't even know who they're serving. They're just serving the company. And they're making money. And working as a computer programmer or whatever. And they don't have the opportunity to do what they'd really like to do, which is to serve the Lord. And of course, there are many others also, Iyengas, Ayas, and 
others who uh, they're not very enthusiastic to serve the Lord. They're very enthusiastic to pursue their career and get lots of money and become rich, which means they lost the principles of their family. However, we often find that even such persons that when, as is inevitable, they get a good kick in the face from Maya, then they also start to think. In, that, in such a situation, then if they're approached, that actually human life is meant for serving Krishna. And they say, oh yes, they can pick it up very quickly. It's in modern times we would call that genetics. It's not exactly genetics. It's not, it's not simply that you have something encoded in your genes. But that is some kind of punya, bhakti unmukhi punya, that is passed down generation to generation. That uh, Bhakti Nauk Thakur described. Bhakti unmukhi punya. That there are different kinds of punya. Punya, generally people think you, by punya well, you will get the opportunity to be born in a family where you have Janmaishvarya Shruta Shri. High birth, birth in an aristocratic family, birth in a rich family, intelligence and good looks. So generally even today the, we often find the brahmanas at least in intelligence, they often have good intelligence. So even though all the laws of the country are made to keep them at the bottom, somehow they often come out on top because some kind of intelligence is there. That intelligence is actually meant for studying Shastra. Now it's meant for, nowadays it's used for advancement in academic pursuits. But we often find that uh, the present generation, actually the present generation and who knows the next generation, what it's going to be like. But they're often far away from the traditional principles. So much so that young Brahmin boys, at least they're vegetarian in the home still, mostly. But many times they don't even know, they've never even heard that there's something wrong with onions and garlic because they've been served with it from their childhood. And then when they see their father coming home drunk and be smoking and all these kind of things, then uh, what kind of principles are they going to imbibe? So it's very unfortunate. There are many different factors. We can say it's the influence of the age of Kali or it could be just the whole change, the way society has changed, the economic system has broken down. And nowadays, if you want to serve the Lord, it's very difficult to maintain a family because people don't donate. The government took over the process of, of giving money to brahmanas, but then they didn't give it. So, well, they, just gave, they gave 40 rupees a year, and that was all right when they started doing it in 1950 or so, but in the year 2004, 40 rupees a year, it's not really enough to support the family for even breakfast, what to speak of, a whole year. So, for various reasons, the Brahmana caste has broken down from its, or come down from its principles. But we see that um, 
now this Krishna Conscious Movement, International Society for Krishna Consciousness, that is spreading all over the world, and naturally we may say, because it's expected that people born in India, they will naturally take to Krishna Consciousness more, that is the good fortune of taking birth in India, that one's generally persons born in India, they are generally they are persons who have more of an inclination towards the religious way of life, especially the Vedic way of life, and especially Krishna consciousness. So not surprisingly, we find that with Indians spread all over the world, that many Indians all over the world, having gone to the West to fill their pockets and their bellies in a manner which is more conducive than in India, they also find that they have now my belly is full, my pocket is full, but my heart is empty. So for filling their heart, many are taking to Krishna consciousness. And we find it's very common that uh, persons from India who went overseas, and it's very common, just like you'll find someone was telling me the other day, they're, they're living very close to our, their home is very close to our temple in Juhu, Bombay. But only when they went to Dubai did they take any interest in Krishna consciousness. So it's a very common thing. That having gone overseas, they, they find that, well, this is actually miserable. I thought it was going to be wonderful, and materially it's wonderful, but actually it's miserable. There are so many material facilities, but it's empty, impersonal. There's nothing, uh, there's nothing here for the soul. There's everything for the mind and the body and the senses, but nothing for the soul. So many Indians who go overseas, even if the sea is only the Arabian Sea, they uh, take to Krishna consciousness under the inspiration of Srila Prabhupada's ISKCON. And we find that also an, a disproportionate number of Brahmanas, it seems, go overseas, maybe because of you know, that Brahmana intelligence I was talking about. And we also find that um, although all castes take to Krishna consciousness, and one of the wonderful things that Srila Prabhupada introduced is that you'll find in Prabhupada's temples in India that the deity worship is being conducted by people from all different castes by birth, and even people who are not from any caste, like myself. Here I am talking about caste, and I don't have any caste. I'm below. They say pancham, but I'm something like dasham or further out. Way, way, way. No lecture so that's, uh, Iskon, there's no, there's no casteism. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu completely rejected that. Nicha jati nahe Krishna bhajane ajogya. Shatku vipra nahe bhajane jogya. Jai bhaje shai bara abhakti hinacha. Krishna bhajane nahe jata kuladi bicha. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu said that even if one is born in a very high class Brahmin family, that is not in and of itself a qualification for serving Krishna. And if one is born in a 
low caste family or lower than low caste, that is not in itself a disqualification for serving Krishna. And whoever does serve Krishna, regardless of their caste, they are glorious. In Krishna Bhakti, there is no consideration of birth. Everyone is welcome to take to Krishna Bhakti. However, nevertheless, even though there is no distinction uh, of who can take to Krishna consciousness, generally we see that that more piety or more inclination tends to be there among the Brahmin caste. As This is a very general statement, but I can support that from Bhagavad Gita, in which Krishna says, Mami Patavya Pashraja Yeti Su Papa Yoniaha Striyo Vaishas Tatashudras Tipi Anti Parangat. And then the next verse, King Bhuna Brahma Punya. Then what Krishna says, even those who are considered of a less pious background, and Krishna gives the example of Vaishas, Shudras, and women. So Krishna says, if they take shelter of me, they can come to me. Then what to speak of King Puna Brahmana Punya Bhakta Raja Shiyastata Anitya Masukam Lokam Imam Prapya Bajasvamam that what to speak of those who are the devotees among the pious Brahmanas and the Kshatriyas having attained such a position if even those who are in a less favored position they can reach me Krishna says then what to speak of those who coming from the Brahmana or Kshatriya background who having attained this position they worship me not just by being a Imam Prabhya Bajasvama not that just I'm a Brahmana and a Kshatriya but having attained that position one should worship Krishna so Krishna indicates that such persons they should, they should certainly come to me not that only the Vaishyas, Shudras and women will come to Krishna but Krishna said they can come to me and then certainly Brahmanas and Kshatriyas will come if they worship me. So that piety is there, that tendency towards religious life, even if it's covered over, uh, we find that Indian people in general, they can take to Krishna consciousness generally more easily than others from other backgrounds. And we find uh, many persons from a Brahmana background because they especially those who in their childhood they saw that, they had a connection with that. So later on they feel when, they, when the hard knocks of material life start crushing them, then they start to feel that, yes, I should also take to this. Or even if they're doing very well in their material situation, they're not feeling satisfaction from that. And then when they see devotees in Krishna consciousness, they become inspired or inclined. Let me also take that up. So, here we have an Iyengar wedding with a difference because it's uh, being conducted actually more in the with a mixture of the Gorya Vaishnava culture also. So that very great and 
glorious Sri Vaishnava tradition is there in both sides of the family. There's the son of Ranganathan and the daughter of Ranganathan. They're both, they're both Ranganathans. Both the, the parent of the boy and the girl, as they call it in the you're still, you're still a boy until you're 40, until you're married in India. Actually, we recommend if you're going to get married, do it sooner. Don't wait till 40. Anyway, so uh, they're both from the Iyengar background and they're also getting uh, added inspiration in their Krishna consciousness from the movement of Srila Prabhupada. So that's very wonderful. Um, we're not saying that all the Ayangas have to do like that, but there should be, we'd like to see more and more cooperation and uh, mutual interaction. There are some differences between, actually, in Samanda, Abhideya, and Prayoja. At, at all levels of, in the Sri Vaishnava Sampradaya and Gauriya Vaishnava Sampradaya, in basic philosophical understanding, in procedures, and in ultimate goal of life, there are differences. But the, the uh, points of similarity are much more important than the differences. That Sri Vaishnavas or Actually, here they're not called Sri Vaishnavas, they're just called Vaishnavas. Because but anyway, the Vaishnavas here, and then we have Madhva Sampradaya also. These are the two main prominent Sampradayas here in South India. So, uh, these are very glorious traditions, and we hope that the Gorya Vaishnava Sampradaya will interact with that more. And Actually, whatever can be done, it's uh, from the Gorya Vaishnavas, from, from the is particularly from the ISKCON movement side. We would like to see, even though we ourselves coming from the Western countries, we are we have no caste. Uh, we are below any caste by social consideration, and though we don't stress on caste. We don't say, well, this is a Brahmin Vaishnava, this is a Shudra Vaishnava, we don't say like that. But at the same time, you recognize that there is a very wonderful tradition that was there and still in, among some families going on in the, among the caste Brahmanas, from the Brahmana families. We would like you to go back to all your relatives and tell them that you're Brahmana, your forefathers, they were so respectable, so glorious, so pure. Now you please, just for the sake of giving peace and satisfaction to your forefathers, now you lead the pure Vaishnava life. So especially those of you who are coming from Brahmana families, I would like to suggest or request that you make your mission among your relatives, not simply to socialize with them, but to, when you meet them, 
जारे देखो तारे कहा कृष्ण उपदेश अमर अज्ञाय गुरु है तारे इंद्र दैट यू जस्ट ट्राइ टू इम्प्रेस अपॉन देम दैट व्हाट ए ग्लोरियस ट्रेडिशन यू हैव एंड यू शुड Give this up, and definitely you shouldn't imitate that cat and dog life of the Western so-called culture. Sometimes people protest that Prabhupada used to say that the Western culture is like cats and dogs. They say Swamiji is using very strong words. But when Prabhupada said that they are like cats and dogs, he was actually being very kind to them because they are much more fallen than cats and dogs. <laughs> to call them cats and dogs is actually being a compliment. So don't follow this cat and dog way of life. Follow the path given by your glorious forefathers. This way, we would like to see a revival of the true Brahmana tradition. That actually, Vidya Vinaya Sampane Brahmana. One is, Brahmana is supposed to be knowledgeable and humble. So, if one has no knowledge of shastra, if you only have MSc, I mean, you can consider that to be dear, and then you are so puffed up, I'm a Brahmana. Then what is the meaning of that? That is meaningless. So, better that you study shastra, understand what is shastra. Nowadays, that all tradition may not be possible. That you studied all the Vedas and so previously your forefathers were doing this, reciting Vedas. But at least you study this Bhagavad Gita as it is, and Bhagavatam, Chaitanya Charitamrita. At least you become conversant in that. If you are from a Brahmana family, you should you you can tell your relatives this. You should at least know what is the message of Bhagavad Gita. Actually, even if you are a Hindu, if you, you see if you meet any Christian, at least they'll tell you what's in the Bible. Muslim. They can often they can recite the Quran. They don't know what it means, but at least they can say it. They learn in Arabic, but they don't know Arabic. But anyway, they they have that much respect for their shastra. So if one is a Hindu, at least he should know what is Bhagavad Gita as it is, not Bhagavad Gita as it isn't, but Bhagavad Gita as it is. As Shila Prabhupada, someone asked him about Ramanujas, Ramanuja Acharyas. Commentary on Bhagavad Gita. He said, he "said I'm reading. I'm reading that." Prabhupada said, "Yes, that is the same as Bhagavad Gita as it is." So practically, it is. It's the same. Bhagavad Gita as it is is, of course, written in a manner that is suitable for a modern man to understand. So, especially the, the Brahmana caste, at least this much, you should know at least 100 shlokas from Bhagavad Gita. Not, I mean, it's really not. If you can write computer programs, then you can learn a hundred. A hundred is nothing. At least, and you should know what they mean also. What do all the shlokas of Bhagavad? What is the meaning of Dharma Kshetri, Kuru Kshetri? What is the meaning of uh, Patram Push? Every verse has one one meaning. Savadhaman Paritya Mami Kamsha and all the other verses are to support this verse. So this much, at least you should know. So this, I'm giving you responsibility now, all of you uh, from the Brahmana families. Don't only preach to the Brahmanas and don't become obsessed that I am a Brahmana. But this much you have some, from the worldly side, 
you have that much little bit head start, even Krishna recognizes. So, don't fall behind. You see, if some lecture like me is talking on Bhagavad Gita, then you should certainly... Actually, if you don't know all these things, then you should be ashamed. If the lectures are learning Bhagavad Gita and preaching, then you should, you should be doing a thousand times more. Isn't it? So please do so. Hare Krishna. Question. Is it a question or a protest? Or <laughs> I've heard from... What is that? Few devotees stating that even though one is following Gorya Vaishnavism, when it comes to marriage, one should follow the caste or cool or what is that Kutram system. How far is it true? Kindly explain to me, is it Varna Sankara? Ah. Should one marry within one's caste? Because in Gorya Vaishnavism we don't put that much stress on it. Uh, it's it's not essential to, but it depends a lot on... Because marrying within the caste is not a spiritual principle. It's a social principle. So a lot depends on one's social outlook and on the social outlook of one's immediate relatives. If one's immediate relatives are uh, very strong that you should do that, or if it would cause a lot of disturbance not to do so, then it would be better to marry within the same caste. And often we find that people from the same caste, both boys and girls, they have a similar kind of nature and upbringing. So it's often conducive to bring them together. If, if, a, if the girl is from a Vaisha background and she's more interested in making money, then it may not be a very good match for a Brahmana who's interested in living simply and studying Shastra. Now, how much the Brahmana caste is really, truly Brahmana in the traditional sense of the term, that has to be considered because according to Shastra, if in the family a child is conceived even once without Garbhadhan Samskar, then the whole family is degraded to the platform of Shudra. So that's also a consideration. So, but anyway, you have to take it differently in different cases. It, most important, I would say, is that one marries a, a devotee because if one spouse is wanting to follow the principles of Krishna consciousness and the other isn't, it's going to be much more of a difficult match than if both are devotees but they're from different castes. So we have to see in each individual case. If, you can, if, if there's a good match, Vaishnav, within the caste, then that would presumably be preferable. But uh, I would say that it's not obligatory, especially if, you, if there's no suitable match found within the caste. I know that uh, one devotee I know from Bombay, he's uh, GSB, different kind of Brahmana, fish-eating Brahmana, Gosarasvat Brahmana. So, uh, he was, his father died, but his mother was very strict that you have to marry within the caste, but it's very difficult to find anyone within the caste who will agree not to eat flesh, even though they're, actually, they're many, anyway, that's another topic. In Orissa and Bengal, you'll find 
like that also for many generations, practically since time immemorial, the brahmanas eat flesh. So eventually, after you, when he was, you know, he just thought that well, before I have to get out the godrej hair dye to make my hair black when it becomes white, before I get to that point, I'd better get married. So he arranged his own marriage, or not arranged through the temple to a girl who was devoted but not within the caste. So his mother wasn't very pleased, but it went on like that. So there, it'll be different in different cases. It's not that Varna Sankara is necessarily produced by marrying outside the caste. Because already everyone's Varna Sankara anyway. So <laughs> if you take that if you take that point that if the Garbhadan Samskar isn't performed, then you come to the platform of Shudra. But actually the, even if we see the if we see the qualities of a Shudra according to Shastra then actually most people are not even Shudras. Because most people, Shudra actually has many good qualities, if you see according to Shastra. So, 